0: Wave changer presents.
1: In this latest episode, we're joined by Mark in Het Pan House from the University of Wollongong, located a couple of hours south of Sydney. Mark is the brains behind the Surf Flex Lab, and also one of the founding members of the Surf Engineers Association.
0: Good morning, Mark. Good day, Tom. Thank you very much for joining the Wave Changer podcast today. Um, we're based in your beautiful house re- doing the recording um, here in Curramore, which is very close to Kayama, uh, about a two-hour drive south of Sydney. Um, Mark, I'd like to talk today about your Surf Flex Lab, also your work with surf engineers, and what you do at the University of Wollongong. Um, can you just give us an introduction, please, and tell us about those three areas?
1: Sure. Uh, very briefly, at the University of University of Wollongong, I'm a teaching and research academic. My, I call myself the professor of material science and surf engineering. I teach engineers. My research, which is housed in the surf flex lab at the innovation campus at the University of Wollongong, is a dedicated facility for testing surfing equipment. So we do 3D printed fins. We also test commercial fins. We quantify the flex behavior in surfboards. And we also look at the performance of surfing. The Surf Engineers, or the Surf Engineering Association, is a group of people from Norway, Hawaii, and Australia. And our focus is to connect ocean with engineering and surfing. And that's a really brief overview of what I do.
0: Great. Thanks, Mark. Um, I've been following you on social media and, um, just on LinkedIn and a few other channels throughout the years. And I, I love what you're doing. One of the main things I, I first actually discovered you guys on an article, um, in SwellNet, which is a surfing website forecasting. They've got a blog uh, based here in Australia. And um, they covered what you do in the Surf Flex Lab. And I think a lot of people that are into sustainability, innovation, tech in the surfing world would really love this sort of content. And I was wondering, do you seek the work um, or do they approach you? And when I say they, I mean the, the surfing brands, the surfboard
1: manufacturers. It's, it's a bit of both. So we started doing the 3D printed fin it actually came a little bit as a, as a fun joke thing when I had a friend of mine who is a much better surfer than me by the name of Jeff Latimer who came to me with a group of his students from his high school and he jokingly said to me, you reckon you can 3D print me some fins? So that's where the 3D printed fin work started. It turned out you know, it was an amazing project. It ran for five, six years. It's still running. We've, we've currently transitioned into a new area. But that gave us exposure, so we got exposed in the traditional media, I think, the ABC and the Australian, and we even went on Discovery Channel, and that sort of led us to gain traction in the surfing world. So people started to approach me. Simultaneously, I was always thinking, well, you can't just look at the fins. You also have to look at the surfboards, and I wanted to understand more if a shaper asked me when I order a board, you know, do you want carbon strips? Do you want an EPS core? Do you want the PU core? So I wanted to understand better what they actually meant with it. And that led me to set up a lab that is dedicated to quantifying. So what is is flex in a surfboard? How do you capture it in a number? And that's a lot of the work that I do with companies that come to me and I help them quantify their technology and also evaluate and benchmark their new technologies. In surfboards, but also off fins.
0: So I can imagine that there might be a lot of secrecy, or um, yeah, is there some sort of thing that's signed an agreement before you do something that you don't share information? And I, I can imagine the the performance qualities for one
1: manufacturer or brand would be a competitive advantage. Is that the case? Absolutely. So most companies that I interact with, the very first thing we do is we sign a non-disclosure agreement. And if you go and look on my social media, you actually find there's very little that is out there without explicit permission of company. I've worked with a whole range of companies and I will only ever give out that information with their permission. And when I mean give out, my ultimate aim is to publish some of these findings and make it available, but only with the permission of those companies. And that's why I also get to see their technologies, which is really cool. I've seen some really interesting surfboards, which obviously I can't talk about.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you can share with us from a, a general viewpoint um, on, I don't know, that the, the listeners would find quite interesting on, on some of the stuff that some of the feedback that you give, or or some of the the results that you have?
1: Yeah, I I have obviously tested lots of different boards. I also work with a couple of local shapers, and that I can actually freely talk about, because we have a project together. So one of the things that I found interesting is, when you start quantifying what a board does that has an EPS core, so an expanded polystyrene core, versus boards that have polyurethane cores so the boards are two different technologies some have so the pu boards traditionally have a wooden stringer in it which gives it most of its flex whereas a board with an eps core has to get its flex from different means and there are now different technologies on the market that people can use with that so based on that for example for my own personal surfing i never used to take EPS boards to some of the heavier waves and I should also quantify that I'm not a very good surfer you know but I like going out surfing I try to surf in most conditions but I always thought EPS core boards you can't surf them on the heavy conditions and that that really doesn't matter because the the one thing I have I, I think I'm fairly confident about is actually the level of glassing that you put on your board is so important the core is obviously important as well because it gives you your damping And it gives you some of the flex, but what you encase it in. So, if you think of the glassing as like the skin, the skin is incredibly important for how a board behaves.
0: And with that in mind, do you mean the thickness or the the amount of fiberglass or?
1: Amount of fiberglass, type of fiberglass, the how load, how mechanical load is transferred to the glassing and how that's connected to the underlying. Surfboard. So that gets technical really quickly because if you think a surfboard is really what, what what is really a composite material. So you have an outer layer, which is the glassing, and then you have an inner core, which is this foam, and then in some cases you have other things that are added into the core to help with the rigidity of the surfboard. So for a polyurethane PU board, that's the wooden stringer. And then it all relates to how does what you do as a surfer and also the forces that the surfboard experience through the surfing maneuvers, how does that get tr- translated and how does that come back to the surfer? That is what gives it the feel of your board.
0: Yeah, right. Fascinating. Um, so to go back to the 3D printed fins, um, there's some great videos and, and data on that. And I, I believe they've been tested in Hawaii. Is that right?
1: So we've done testing on, there's been several parts of this project. The first testing we did sort of semi-secret in, um, at Snapper Rocks in 2016. And that was the very first time we actually realized that our 3D printed fins can actually, you can surf them and you can surf well with them. And the people surfing with them didn't, couldn't really tell the difference between those fins and commercial fins in terms of that, that didn't immediately stand out. The next part of it is when I took a team of six surfers and a uh, biomechanist, person by the name of Julie, Julie Steele, and we went to uh, Macaroni's in Indonesia to test our fins in a fully blind test. So nobody knew exactly what they were riding. That was sort of the to figure out how our own fin designs hold up. Simultaneously I've been working with someone on Hawaii called David Shoreman, who's made these really amazing fins that are inspired by the flippers of humpback whales, so we've been also been testing on Hawaii.
0: Yeah, I'll include links to some of this stuff in the show notes, but the, the humpback whale inspired fins are incredible. Um, it's a true example of biomimicry where you're sort of borrowing from nature. Um, and I believe am I right in saying there's been some fins with
1: sensors or is that coming up? That's our latest work. We've just published our first paper on that where we've put uh, sensors inside the fins to figure out what does a fin do in the water? That's the real question. Right? I can test how much a fin can bend in the lab. Or how much does a fin flex? What I don't know is What does a fin do in the water? And I really want to get some information. Let's say if you go into your bottom turn what does that do to a fin? How fast does a fin come back to its original position? Does the fin give the surfer an advantage? And in order to answer that question, I need to get a better understanding of how much a fin actually flex. So under laboratory conditions, I've done what is called impact testing. And a lot of fins can easily flex 20 degrees upon impact without breaking either the fin box or the fin itself. That blew me away because 20 degrees is quite a lot. If you mm. think of how much that actually is, it's, it's a bit hard to explain on a podcast, but it's a lot. Yeah, 20 degrees is a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like recently there's been an increased focus on the fin performance with FCS Futures. Kelly Slater's now got his new range Endorphins Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm sure that all of these guys will be fascinated with your data.
1: I imagine it's um, quite sought after data. Well, we haven't published the data from macaronis yet, the macaronis experiment, but we are, that's going to come out this year. So, and we will make that data freely available. So, we're not going to publish it. That you need a subscription to see it we're going to publish it so that everybody can access the data so that they can see what we did with six surfers four different fin types and obviously we also compared futures and fcs fcs too but i don't think that really matters it's just a personal preference of surfers
0: mm, sure um can you tell us a little bit more about your work with surf engineers um i believe it's a collective of like-minded surf and engineer uh, experts scattered around the world and and how did this all start
1: it started by i got an email a couple of years ago from david Shoreman on hawaii and he was looking he saw some of the work i did and we made a connection and a few years after that through another local professor called julie steele she had a guy coming over from Norway by the name of Luke, Luca Ogiano. He came to Wollongong and we realized we all have an interest in, in surfing. So I worked with Luca, I did some work with David. Luca had also lived on Hawaii. So eventually we connected everything together and in 2019 we met up on Hawaii, on Oahu, and organized a symposium during the Pipe Master. So we ran a symposium in the evening at Sunset Elementary School, so during when pipe wasn't on, to bring us all together and to talk about how can we connect surfing, the ocean, and engineering. So we had shapers like Eric Awakawa. We had B. Derbidge there, who at the time was the head of the the surfing performance center focused on the Olympics. We had uh, people there from Futures. We had people, we had a whole, it was a small meeting, but it was a very dedicated meeting. And it showed that There was a real interest. At that same time, we were also contacted by Jimmy Freeze, who's the person behind the software uh, for AccuShaper. So we had a very enjoyable day with him. And as part of all of that, the surf engineer, some of the work we did is I've I've done some testing with a guy called Aaron Gold, who is a big wave surfer based on Oahu, where I've been looking at his surfboards that he uses to ride JAWS, which is a a wave of consequence. I also, through surf engineers, I met up with a guy called uh, Ben Wilkinson, who's originally from Sydney, but who's very interested in asymmetric surfboards. So we've also done some testing through that. And then there's also, through the local connections of David Shawman, we've also had access to lots of surfboards, because a lot of pros, usually keep some of their quiver on Hawaii. So we've been able to access some of these uh, surfboards. surfboards.
0: Um, Great stuff. Um, It sounds like there's a lot of R&D and innovation going on right now. Um, How will you see this impact or complementing the environmental movement such as eco boards and new
1: materials? So I'm, I'm already tested surfboards that are made with alternative technologies. But because I'm bound by NDA agreements, I can't tell you. I can just tell you that there are very interesting technologies out there. Just before Christmas, I started to work with a company that is using a really different way for making surfboards. So it sounds a bit cryptic, but (laughs) (laughs) to go back to that, one of the original aims of the 3D printed fin project was to make fins in a sustainable manner, so that after you've, you move on to a different set of fins, that you could then recycle your fins. Mm. I also ran a subject at the University of Wollongong that was focused on sustainability, where I asked, there was a group of 150 students that were all divided into groups of five, and I gave them a set of tasks. I said, produce a poster and address sustainability either for wetsuits or for surfboards. And a lot of very interesting aspects came out of that because it's not just the way surfboards are produced, as you probably know better than than me, but it's also what happens around there. So you produce surfboards in a factory, but then the surfboards, if they're manufactured let's say let's say they're manufactured in Thailand, they then have to be shipped from Thailand to the local markets or even your local shaper you know you might order a board to your local shaper, which means very likely have to get in your car to go to the shaper the shaper then may have to go to their factory they then have to go and get blanks which are transported by road so it's that holistic view if you really got to look at everything it's not just how we make the boards it's also what we have to do in order to to actually get our hands on the surfboard so it's all this co2 Cost that you have, and I found that incredibly interesting. And then, of course, there's new materials coming up. So I think that that whole future and sustainability is super exciting.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with the the overall uh, carbon footprint or environmental impact. I had a chat with uh, Andrew Simpson from Vert Design in Sydney. He's um, designed the Dresden glasses made out of recycled mm. plastic, and he's done. Uh, bits and pieces with some of the some of the top brands in Australia, and he's an industrial designer, and he showed me a diagram, um, which basically said, you know, it's a very small percent of a, uh, of an item, which is about the materials. The rest of it is, like you said, the transport, mm. uh, the embodied energy to produce it, um, the social impact, the wages. You know, the, is it an ethical production line? Um, what are the environmental regulations in the country where they're getting made? You know, probably a lot more relaxed than they are perhaps in Australia. So there's just so many different questions. And also to go back to your point about the students coming up with ideas. Two years ago with Wave Changer, we did a, um, a student design workshop and we asked them to invent the most eco-friendly surfboard you can come up with. And there was no limits And I just sort of gave them advice and they ended up coming up with some incredible ideas. One of them was um, a very thin aluminium casing instead of resin, which sounded bizarre at the time. But then I thought about it and it would be easy to recycle because aluminium, I think, can be recycled many more times than plastic without losing its properties. And another bunch of students came up with one made from recycled coffee cups and they said... Um, and this was completely their idea, the paper element is separated from the inner plastic lining in a coffee cup, yep. and the paper pulp core is the middle, and you remelt that little inner plastic lining and that's a resin over the top, so it's a coffee cup surfboard and I thought, wow, that's just... it blew my mind how inventive they were without any limits. And I think perhaps when you get into adulthood, there's these barriers which... You think, oh, I can't do that because it's not how traditionally things are made. Or, you know, when when you can have a completely blank canvas, I think that's when the best ideas yeah. come out of uh, nowhere. Um, so, the, the future of surfing, I feel like, um, is going to be intrinsically linked with the environment, just like any other products. Um, what are your thoughts about the future of surfing in this way? The professional tour and any other parts of surfing in general, and how it overlaps with the environment?
1: That's a really interesting question, because obviously the world tour, there's a lot of flying involved. So that in itself, and I think they are already addressing, the WSL is addressing some of these these aspects. But I think if you think even how many surfboards a pro surfer uses per year, if somehow there is a way to address the sustainability of surfboard production that alone will have a massive impact on the environment because they do go through quite understandably a whole lot of different surfboards because i was talking to somebody recently about this and they they're not a surfer and they said well you know why do surfers need so many surfboards you know if you go and play tennis my children have just started playing tennis they'll need one racket Right, or possibly a few more rackets. As a surfer, you know this as well, if you surf and even if you're a kook like myself, I will surf different boards for different days for different breaks. Now imagine a pro surfer. You have, yeah, have to surf even more. So if we can address the number of surfboards, then I think that would be a good thing, even for myself, because I tell my wife a different number of surfboards that I have than what can actually be find, <laughs> found in my garage. And I hope she's not going to listen to this because I might actually just put the foot in it.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I'd, I'd heard some, some numbers of, um, from one of Australia's biggest surfboard um, manufacturers, importers at Global Surf Industries, saying that the prize can have upwards of 100 boards a year.
1: Easy, yeah, that's is the insane. number I've heard as well. Yeah, so I is, mean, it
0: just sounds insane. It yeah. really does. But then you imagine how many times they surf and the, the intensity of the waves, and there's probably a lot of breakages. And I imagine if there's a slight blemish or ding, it doesn't it get the, uh, you know, the duct tape and the epoxy resin like.
1: I know, that's not actually true because surfers, and this is also one of the reasons why I'm one of the aspects of my work that I'm continuously trying to address surfers have magic boards. So they can have dinged boards that they only come out during certain comps. And that's one of the things that I'm very interested in. And some of the technologies that I've been developing are around how do you quantify the behavior of a surfboard in numbers so that when somebody has a magic board, you can give information and you can actually test the board to see if it compares to that rather than having to make a whole bunch of them. Well, you probably still have to make a whole bunch of them until you can work that in, because it's, it also has to do with the way manufacturing is done of surfboards. You know, you're working with resins, resins are polar, what is called polarisation reactions, which are highly dependent on temperature, humidity, concentration. So most shaping is not done on the what I would call controlled environments. Humidity is generally not controlled, and temperature... Is not controlled and obviously because of the amount of hand involvement in it there's a lot of person involvement in it which also means that two different people can produce the same surfboard but with very different properties and by the way that is not unique to the surfing world I know in a, in a particular research field where some of my colleagues where materials are produced on the nanoscale and they would actually specifically ask for a specific operator to make the materials.
0: As in the person making? The maker. person
1: operating the instrument. So you right. can get, you know, it's, it's a common problem. It's not just related to surfboards. I see it in, in the scientific world all the time. I buy materials and their certificate says, you know, it is the same material, but when you analyze it, it is different. There's still some variability in it. It also makes surfing interesting, right? If you buy a new board, You know, it might be the same dimensions, but it could perform very differently.
0: Yeah, interesting. When you say a magic board, a board that a pro surfer will be using that they really like, that they... Yeah,
1: that they win events on. Or even like, I'm sure you've had it too. I've had a magic board. Mm, I really liked it, and then I broke it. And then Mm. I'm trying to get another one, and it just doesn't come out, doesn't feel the same. But then, you know, also body shape changes, but I do have had magic boards that I really like, mm. really like surfing. Yeah, I've got one at the moment again that I really, I've got two that I really like, sorry, three. <laughs> it's gonna get worse.
0: <laughs> magic quiver. Um, so what's coming up on the horizon for you with um, Surf Flex Lab, Surf Engineers, or at the university, any exciting plans coming up?
1: We have made a instrumented surfboard so we've taken a surfboard and we put accelerometers, gyroscopes in it so that we can track the behavior of the surfboard, but also track in real time how the fins are flexing. So someone can sit on the beach and watch in real time what the fins are doing, while also seeing you know, what's the pitch to you, the yaw, the velocity of the surfboard, how much rail are you putting on. So that's what's coming up with Surf Flex Lab uh, for, it's also a project, so if anyone is out there with big brown paperbacks full of money, give me a call because I'm looking for funding for this project with surf engineers. We're very excited and we're working towards organizing another symposium on Oahu. Uh, hopefully, sometime during the pipe, the pipe masters. We've obviously missed it this year. We haven't been able to hold one due to COVID, but we are planning to do that again. So that's what is coming up in in. In surf engineers at the university, you know, I'm very excited to as I teach, I teach more about surfing in in my in my teaching. So I use surfing as examples. You know, I for example, I explain um, laws of thermodynamics using surfing, which you can do. I've even explained something that is called Heisenberg's uncertainty principle using a surfboard. So I'm trying to use. Surfing as an example to show that one of my taglines now is surfing as a science. So surfing is, and there is a lot of science behind that.
0: Attention humans.